Welcome back, Hemingwayniacs, to the Hemingway List Podcast, Book 10, Chapter 8. Oh, Old Man Bolkonski. R.I.P. We lost him. Uh, the fact that, contrary to her apprehensions, he did not have her taken away by force, but only ordered her not to show her face to him, gladdened Princess Maya. She knew it proved that in his heart of hearts he was glad that she was staying at home and not leaving. Is Maya being delusional here, or do you think she is correct? Oh, hard to say, isn't it? Wishful thinking, maybe, but maybe there's a glimmer of truth in it. He could have just as well ordered her to go, to be taken away. Yet he didn't. He let her stay, just was very angry about it. Maya is cutting it really close, staying behind when the French are looting just miles away. Do you think she'll be caught up in the action of the war? Or will she manage to escape before being placed in real danger? The danger's right at their door, isn't it, at this point? But um, is it really her fault that she's cutting it so close? I guess it is. It was her decision to stay. But she wasn't about to abandon her, her father. The old prince finally kicks the bucket. Are you happy to see him go? Do his final tender words with Princess Maya forgive his previous callousness? I'm not happy to see him go. I don't think anyone will be happy to see him go. He's um, a great character. Sure, he's a grumpy old bugger, but he's a great character in the book. The thing that struck me is um, Maya having those quite human thoughts of like wanting him to die because, um, well, because he's catatonic, um, and thinking about how much better her life will be once he's dead. Fair enough, too. He's been so mean to her for so long. But as if Maya didn't have enough guilt going on in her life with all her Christian guilt that she racks upon herself, um, now she has this extra guilt of having thought those things right before her father somewhat reaches out with the olive branch to her. If he had have died without ever making amends, some of those thoughts might have been justified, maybe. Maybe not justified, but a little easier to live with. You know, he was a grumpy old guy, and he died a grumpy old guy. But he just had to make amends right at the end, and then make her feel horrible for thinking those things. Just one more heap of guilt for poor old Maya. Order from Chaos says this, I'm really sad to see the old codger finally go. He was a great character. I hope Mary is taken away and is not subject to the French. I don't think she really needs to be taken away now. She's kind of in control of her own destiny now, in a big way. Already have one uh, is, says, what? <laughs> Already have one says, after falling behind in February, I've finally caught up now. Now that I've been reading five or so chapters a day, I don't feel like I can slow my pace, and I will continue to rocketing through the story. As for this chapter, sad and happy to see the old man go. Great writing to have me so conflicted. Hope Maya can finally find a life of her on her own. See you all at the finish line. Ah, oh, come on, you've just caught us, already have one, and now you're going to blast past us. I reckon you could fall in step and join us on this daily discussion. We'd love to have you. Omar Potter said, a rough read. Oh, yeah. Kara Kikas says, I'm excited to see what happens next for Maya. Yeah. Um, the world is now at, 
at her feet, I suppose. Um, and the Qureshi said this, His reconciliation brought me a little out of the reality of the world. In real life, old grouchy people usually just die. I feel like you might be speaking from some personal experience, but I think you're probably right. I've heard lots of stories of people who become, um, uh, what's the word, morbidly ill, uh, what's the word, mortally ill, you know, sick beyond uh, beyond hope, you know, and in their dying months or days or years or whatever it is, they do become quite bitter and angry and you would think there'd be some moment as they get nearer to death where they come to accept it and have some kind of humbleness or humility or some kind of clarity or wisdom and they become accepting of it but I've heard stories of just you know how horrible death is where people die just without accepting it you know they don't have that moment of clarity and peace and you know I'm ready or whatever like we see in the movies it's it's just they get angrier and angrier and it feels more and more unfair until the end that's horribly morbid for this podcast but your um comment the Qureshi reminded me of I can't even remember who told me that someone was just recounting I think it was you know what happened with his stepdad or something like that as he died and how, you know, it, it really wasn't, you know, there was no moment of it where he, they seemed okay with it. And they just became kind of an asshole. But not, they were never an asshole. But you, you don't uh, put your best foot forward when you're thinking about how unfair everything is and, you know, begrudging the fact that you are about to uh, kick the bucket. Anyway, horribly morbid stuff. Let's continue, shall we? Chapter 9 goes like this. Until Prince Andrew settled in Bogotrovo, its owners had always been absentees, and its peasants were of quite a different character from those of Bald Hills. They differed from him in from them in speech, dress, and disposition. They were called step peasants. The old prince used to approve of them for their endurance at work when they came to Bald Hills to help with the harvest, or to dig ponds and ditches, and he disliked them for their boorishness. Prince Andre's last stay at Bogotrovo, when he introduced hospitals and schools and reduced the quintrant and peasants had to pay, uh, had not softened their disposition, but had, on the contrary, strengthened in them the traits of character the old prince called boorishness. Various obscure rumours were always current among them, at one time a rumour that they would all be enrolled as Cossacks, at another of a new religion to which they were all to be converted, then of some proclamation of the Tsars, and of an oath to the Tsar Paul in 1797 in connection with which it was rumoured that freedom had been granted them, but the landowners had stopped it. Then of Peter Fedorovich's return to the throne in seven years' time, when everything would be made free and so simple that there would be no restrictions. Rumours of the war with Bonaparte and his invasion were connected in their minds with the same sort of vague notions of Antichrist, the end of the world and pure freedom. 
In the vicinity of Bogotrovo were large villages belonging to the crown or to other to owners whose serfs paid quintrant and could work where they pleased. There were very few resident landlords in the neighbourhood and also very few domestic or literate serfs and in the lives of the peasantry of those parts the mysterious undercurrents in which the life of the Russian people, the causes and meaning of which were so baffling to contemporaries, were more clearly and strongly noticeable than among others. One instance which had occurred some twenty years before was a movement among the peasants to emigrate to some unknown warm rivers. Hundreds of peasants, among them the Bogotrovo folk, suddenly began selling their cattle and moving in whole families towards the southeast. As birds migrate to somewhere beyond the sea, so these men with their wives and children streamed to the southeast, to parts where none of them had ever been. They set off in caravans, bought their freedom one by one, or ran away and drove or walked towards the warm rivers. Many of them were punished, some sent to Siberia, many died of cold and hunger on the road, many returned of their own accord, and the movement died down of itself just as it had sprung up, without apparent reason. But such undercurrents still existed among the people and gathered new forces ready to manifest themselves just as strangely, unexpectedly, and at the same time simply, naturally, and forcibly. Now in 1812, to anyone living in close touch with these people, it was apparent that these undercurrents were acting strongly and nearing an eruption. Alpatish, who had reached Bogotrovo shortly before the old prince's death, noticed an agitation among the peasants, and that contrary to what was happening in the Bald Hills district, where over a radius of 40 miles all the peasants were moving away and leaving their villages to be devastated by the Cossacks, the peasants in the steppe region round Bogotrovo were, it was rumoured, in touch with the French, received leaflets from them that passed from hand to hand and did not migrate. He learned from domestic serfs loyal to him that the peasant carp, who possessed great influence in the village commune, had recently been away driving a government transport, had returned with news that the Cossacks were destroying deserted villages, but that the French did not harm them. Alpatish also knew that on the previous day, another peasant had even brought from the village of Vizlukovo, which was occupied by the French, a proclamation by a French general that no harm would be done to the inhabitants, and if they remained, they would be paid for anything taken from them. As proof of this, the peasant had brought from Vizlukovo a hundred rubles in notes, he did not know that they were false, paid to him in advance for hay. More important still, Alpatish learned that on the morning of the very day he gave the village elder orders to collect carts to move Prince's luggage from Bogotrovo, there had been a village meeting at which it had been decided not to move but to wait. Yet there was no time to waste. On the 15th, the day of the old Prince's death, the Marshal had insisted on Princess Mary's leaving at once, as it was always, as it was becoming dangerous. He had told her that after the 16th he could not be responsible for what might happen. On the evening of the day the old prince died, the marshal went away, promising to return next day for the funeral, but this he was unable to do, for he received tidings that the French had unexpectedly advanced and had barely time to remove his own family and valuables from his estate. For some thirty years, Bogotrovo had been managed by the village elder Dron, whom the old prince called the diminutive Dronyushka. Dron was one of those physically and mentally vigorous peasants who grow big beards as soon as they are of age and go on unchanged 
till they are 60 or 70 without a grey hair or the loss of a tooth, as straight and strong as 60 has at 30. Soon after the migration to the warm rivers in which he had taken part like the rest, Brom was made village elder and overseer of Bogotrovo, and had since filled the post irreproachably for 23 years. The peasants feared him more than they did their master, their masters, both the old prince and the young, and the steward respected him and jestingly called him the minister. During the whole time of his service, Dron had never been drunk or ill, never after sleepless nights or the hardest tasks had he shown the least fatigue, and though he could not read, he had never forgotten a single money account or the number of quarters of flour in any of the endless cartloads he sold for the prince, nor a single shock of the whole corn crop or any single acre of the Bogotrovo fields. Alpatiche, arriving from the devastated Bald Hills estate, sent from his, for his drawn on the day of the prince's funeral and told him to have half, sorry, to have twelve horses got ready for the princess's carriages and eighteen carts for the things to be removed from Bogotrovo. Though the peasants paid quitrent, Alpatiche thought no difficulty would be made about complying with this order, for there were 230 households at work in Bogotrovo, and the peasants were well to do. But on hearing the order, Dron lowered his eyes and remained silent. Alpatiche named certain peasants he knew from whom he to- told him to take the carts. Dron replied, that the horses of the peasants were away carting, Alpatish named others, but they too, according to Dron, had no horses available. Some horses were carting for the government, others were too weak, and others had died for want of fodder. It seemed that no horses could be had even for the carriages, much less for carting. Alpatish looked intently at Dron and frowned, just as Dron was a model village elder, so Alpatish had not managed the prince's estates for twenty years in vain. He was a model steward, possessing in the highest degree the faculty of divining the needs and instincts of those he felt with he dealt with, sorry. Having glanced at Dron, he at once understood that this that his answers did not express his personal views. But the general mood of the Bogotrovo commune by which the elder had already been carried away. But he also knew that Dron, who had acquired property and was hated by the commune, must be hesitating between the two camps, the masters and the serfs. He noticed his this hesitation in Dron's look and therefore frowned and moved closer up to him. Now just listen, Dronushka, said he, don't talk nonsense to me. His Excellency Prince Andre himself gave me orders to move all the people away and not leave them with the enemy. And there is an order from the Tsar about it, too. Anyone who stays is a traitor to the Tsar, do you hear? I hear, Dron answered without lifting his eyes. Alpatish was not satisfied with this reply. Hey, Dron, it will not. It will turn out badly, he said, shaking his head. The power is in your hands, Dron rejoined sadly. Uh, Dron, drop it, Alpatish repeated, withdrawing his hand from his bosom and solemnly pointing to the floor at Dron's feet. I can see through you and three yards into the ground under you, he continued, gazing at the floor in front of Dron. Dron was disconcerted, glanced furtively at Alpatish and again lowered his eyes. You drop this nonsense and tell the people to get ready to leave their homes and go to Moscow and to get carts ready for tomorrow morning for the prince's things. And don't go to any meeting yourself, do you hear? Dron suddenly fell on his knees. 
Yaakov Alpatish, discharge me. Take the keys from me and discharge me, for Christ's sake. Stop that, cried Alpatish sternly. I see through you and three yards under you, he repeated, knowing that his still, his skill in beekeeping, his knowledge of the right time to sow the oats, and the fact that he had been able to retain the old prince's favour for twenty years, had long since gained him the reputation of being a wizard, and that the power of seeing three yards under a man is considered an attribute of wizards. John got up and was about to say something, but Alpatish interrupted him. What is it you have got into your heads, hey? What are you thinking of, hey? What am I to do with the people, said John. They're quite beside themselves. I have already told them. Told them, I dare say, said Alpatish. Are they drinking, he asked abruptly. Quite beside themselves, Yakov Alpatish. They fetched another barrel. Well, then listen, I'll go to the police officer and you tell them so, and that they must stop this and the carts must be got ready. I understand. Albertish did not insist further. He had managed people for a long time and knew that the chief way to make them obey is to show no suspicion that they could possibly disobey. Having wrung a submissive, I understand, from John, Albertish contented himself with that, though not only doubted but felt most certain that without the help of troops the cart would not be forthcoming. And so it was, for when evening came no carts had been provided. In the village, outside the drink shop, another meeting was being held, which decided that the horses should be driven out into the woods and the carts should be not, not be provided. Without saying anything of this to the princess, Alpatish had his own belongings taken out of the carts which had arrived from Bald Hills and had those horses got ready for the princess's carriages. Meanwhile, he went himself to the police authorities. Alright, there we go. Another chapter down. Oh, a bit of a revolt happening among the serfs. Not good. Not good. Although good if you are a serf, I suppose. Um, Alright, have your say about the chapter on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.